Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about immigrants and looking at the roots of the Kennedy family made famous by John F. Kennedy and his brother Robert. Our guest is journalist Neil Thompson, who's written a book called The First Kennedys, The Humble Roots of an American Dynasty. Neil writes about how two young Irish people arrived in Boston, met and married, and created a family that would go on to shape American politics. The book's principal figures are Bridget, one of those first two immigrants, and her son PJ, who was JFK's grandfather. PJ was the first Kennedy elected to public office. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Richard. Good to be here. I'm a big fan of Abe Books, so I'm happy to speak with you. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, my first question is, um, well, the 20th century Kennedy family is really well documented, hundreds of books. Why write about the 19th century Kennedys? Yeah, I, uh, I guess my interest in that piece of the, the, the Kennedy story started, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the book, it started back in 1999 when I was working for the Baltimore Sun newspaper um, the day that John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, went missing in his airplane. He was flying from New Jersey up to uh, Nantucket and Hyannisport and uh, disappeared. And so myself and a couple of other journalists from the paper went up to cover that story um, uh, and his subsequent death. Um, and I just remember there was this moment where I was watching the frenzy outside the Kennedy's compound up there at Hyannisport, all these other journalists like myself and TV cameras and whatnot. Um, and, and I started thinking, wow, you know, we're so fascinated by this family and their, and their tragedies and their ups and downs over the decades. Um, where did it all start? And, and on my way home from that assignment, I drove uh, south from the Boston area through New Jersey, which is where I'm from, my family's from. And I drove very near to the cemetery where my Irish immigrant grandparents are buried. Their names are Bridget, were Bridget and Patrick. Um, and um, something got tweaked in me where I realized, huh, my immigrant background, such as it was, um, is similar to what the 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 Kennedys uh, was like and where they came from, which was Ireland. And I wanted to know what was it like for them? Who were they? Who were the first Kennedys to come to America? What was their experience like? So this was a story that kind of stuck in my head for many years, but I was never able to get fully up and running on it until the past few years when in this country, uh, in America, we started having very different conversations about what the immigrant meant to um, to our nation. Um, you know, during the Trump administration, there were, um, you, you know, this there was this sort of renewed nativist frenzy and keep them out and build the wall and all of that kind of thing. And I wanted to explore um, the 19th century situation with Irish immigrants who were the first wave of immigrants from another country coming here, if, uh, if you don't count uh, the enforced immigration of, of slaves who were brought here. Um, 
and I wanted to know the details. Who were they? Who were the first ones? So that's that's how, how it got started. And I figured there had to be a story there of of sort of these um, strivers, these um, poor immigrants trying to make it in a in a in a country that didn't want them. And that's how I ended up uh, focusing in on on Bridget and then her son PJ. Kind of the backstory to the whole dynasty. So what was your main source for information? I believe you got access to PJ Kennedy's papers. I did, yeah, and that that took a while. Um, they uh, those papers are held at the John F. Kennedy Library, just south of Boston, and I became aware of those years ago, at least five years ago. But they were closed to the public um, for a long time. They were old onion skin pages and very fragile, and they had to be uh, processed in a very specific way. Um, but I kept nagging the folks at the JFK Library, literally every six months. How's it going? When are they going to be available? Um, and they finally became available during sort of the latter stages of my research for this book. Um, and they sent them to me in one big uh, batch of uh, PDFs. Um, and they were fascinating and super helpful. A lot of le personal letters and business letters and business documents. Um, but that wasn't the only source. There were a lot of other um, uh, sort of pockets of uh, information and research that I relied on uh, heavily, like information at the Massachusetts State Archives, because P.J. Kennedy was a state legislator. They had a lot of documents available there. And then one interesting source that I, I spent a lot of time on was this website called newspapers.com, um, you know, scanned images of uh, 19th century newspapers, in particular the Boston papers. Um, so it was a pretty broad array of uh, of uh, research resources that I relied on, but those PJ Kennedy papers were were super helpful at the end. Okay, so tell us a bit about Bridget. She left a farm in Ireland to come to uh, Boston, which was a pretty rough and ready place at the time. Can you tell us about that hard introduction that she had to America? Yeah, she's a fascinating character, and uh, it was. Uh, really enjoyed getting to know more about her history and and in turn a little bit more about my own heritage as a result but uh, she was born and raised in a on, on a small farm in in rural uh, southeast Ireland in County Wexford um, and uh, uh, when the potato famine uh, decimated uh, that, that country and people started to flee, she was the first in her family to leave, um, roughly 1847. Um, and I was intrigued to discover that a lot of single women um, were the ones who left Ireland first. Um, unlike other uh, immigrants from other countries coming to America, they didn't, they weren't married already. They didn't come with a large family. They came alone. So Bridget Murphy was her, her uh, 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 maiden name. And she <clears throat> got on one of these ships that were later known as coffin ships because so many people died on the dangerous crossing across the Atlantic and came to America knowing no one with no job ready for her with very little money and and started from scratch uh, and I think it says a lot about her bravery and um, and her grit that she was uh, she was able to do this at a, at a young age uh, in her early 20s and then and then upon reaching America found a land that was not uh, welcoming poor Irish immigrants with open arms um, 
they uh, were wary of these newcomers and and it led to over the next decade of her early introduction to America led to a lot of tensions with the the, the immigrants and a lot of uh, the kind of protests that we we've seen in recent years sort of the send them back we should deport them these are people who are bringing their diseases and their crimes to America um, I found headlines very similar to the ones we've seen in the recent years yeah I, I thought the same um... So how did that opposition to the Irish immigrants show itself in Boston at the time? Yeah, it was there were there were many ways that it showed itself. Um, for example, the schools once once Bridget married, she she and her husband Patrick married in 1849 in Boston, um, started raising a family. They lived on this island called East Boston. Um, but um, for example, their, their, their firstborn son named John uh, died of a disease called cholera and phantom. They weren't able to bury him in the city of Boston because there were no cemeteries that allowed Catholics to be buried in Boston soil, essentially. So they had to bury their son further west in the town of Cambridge. Uh, same thing happened when Patrick died of tuberculosis, which was then known as consumption. Uh, uh, in his 30s, leaving Bridget to as a widow with four kids to raise, he also had to be buried outside of the Boston city limits in, in Cambridge um, because Boston didn't want Catholics buried inside the city. And there were laws to prevent this. Um, among the other laws were for students going to, to the uh, uh, public schools. They had to um, study and recite Protestant versions of the Bible and Protestant prayers and study um, history that was very sort of Anglo-centric and um, sort of dismissed Irish history and denigrated uh, the the Irish in general. Um, and then and then worse than that, there were protests. I mean, there were uh, sort of these nativist forces that, who would march through their neighborhood and throw bricks through the the, the windows of Irish. Uh, um, uh, uh, residents and, and shop owners. They would uh, protest outside the uh, Catholic church where the Kennedys attended in East Boston. Um, and then in the <clears throat> mid-1850s, there was the rise of what was known as the Know Nothing Party or the American Party. And these were the politicians who um, campaigned on uh, sort of an anti-immigrant and America first platform. Again, very sort of similar uh, um, uh, protests and similar language to what we've seen in, in the past few years here in America. Yeah, it sounds um, shockingly familiar. Right. Um, something that was is quite different was how you describe the child mortality in that era. Um, did were you shocked by just how many children died at a terribly young age at that time? I was, and and you know, I'm, I was researching and writing, f finishing the writing of this book at at the time when, you know, COVID was taking over the the globe, and and um, so to 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 learn. Um, more about the diseases that were affecting poor neighborhoods and the immigrant classes at that time was kind of unnerving. Um, and they were rampant, uh, the, these diseases like, uh, you know, cholera and typhus and smallpox and uh, consumption and, and uh, a whole host of other diseases were um, truly the diseases of the, t of the tenement class, right? Like they, they just lived and bred on 
um, the tight spaces where immigrants lived um, and the and the you know the bad air that they were surrounded by and bad access to water and um, so in the Kennedy family for example uh, Bridget lost I think it was eleven of her twenty something grandchildren. Um, and they died, you know, many of them before the age of five. The, uh, I think the, the, uh, average life expectancy during that, a certain period in the mid 1800s for an, um, Irish immigrant child, um, was five years, not, not, um, n- not a happy prospect for a lot of these families. So it was, it was pretty shocking to see how often the Kennedys had to lower one of their young children into the ground. Right. So Bridget established herself, worked her way up, set up her own business. And along came uh, uh, PJ had come along and he grew up too. Uh, But as I was reading the book, he seemed rather an unlikely politician, like a a quiet person who really preferred not to be in the spotlight. Is is that correct? It it is. Um, And it's uh, there's more to him there that i find kind of fascinating when we when we think of kennedys for example we we think of jfk you know handsome and eloquent and um someone who um you know succeeded in in, uh uh, being this presence on television and in front of people and pj was very very different he was um became a very powerful political figure during that time in Boston uh, as a state legislator and and a ward boss, as he was known. But he he preferred working behind the scenes. He started out as a saloon keeper and and, uh, ran a couple of pubs in in and around Boston and then expanded into other liquor-related businesses, retail and wholesale. Um, So he got his start basically pulling beers and drafts behind the bar and talking to people. Um, I think what drew him to politics was helping helping other people, helping other Irish immigrants and newcomers to America and helping them get started the way people helped his mother. Um, and I think it, it, he found a way through politics to be helpful. Um, and uh, and I think he was good at it because he was, uh, and again, you referred to the PJ Kennedy papers. There were a lot of uh, examples in in those documents of PJ helping other people out, um, writing a letter to some employer to say, "Hey, this this kid just came over from Ireland. Can you help him find a job?" Or lending money to people who were in need. I think he was a very generous person, a very empathetic person, um, and a, a a politician who who genuinely believed in helping his uh, constituents. Um, he wasn't flashy. He wasn't showy. He didn't give loud speeches. Um, I compare him in the book to JFK's other grandfather, John Fitzgerald, Honey Fitz, who was brash and did love to be in, in, the, in the spotlight and in the public and giving speeches and, um, and more of a showy, show-offy politician. Um, and PJ was the opposite. Indeed, yeah. So I, I remember that um, JFK's use of television probably well, almost certainly helped him beat Nixon to become president because exactly. Nixon was so wooden on television, whereas JFK looked like a film star, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, different age. Okay, so uh, both character, both both figures. So um, Bridget and PJ, remarkable people. But but what made them different? How 
what was was there one ingredient that they shared that helped them succeed or or something else i i i'd argue and i sort of explore as much in in the book that there were a few things that they shared or things that bridget passed down to pj and that you you could in fact tr track through the later uh uh, uh kennedy lineage um and i think you know there there was grit there was tenacity there was um, this persistence, you know, this ability to work hard and move up despite all these forces working against them. You know, at the time that Bridget came, she was um, part of this massive, massive wave of poor rural, mostly rural Irish people coming to America. And many of them worked in the lower rungs of, of, uh, of the, you know, the economic ladder and worked the men worked as laborers and the women like Bridget worked as maids and for many of them that was a life sentence they did that the rest of their days and then maybe that's what their kids would do um, so I find it fascinating that Bridget found a way out found a way to move up from maid to hairdresser and then opened her own grocery shop <clears throat> she had this entrepreneurial spirit um, and sort of community-minded spirit um, that showed itself uh, in in how she op ran her business. She also bought a the building where her grocery store uh, was, and um, and then rented out the apartments above the grocery store to new uh, new incoming uh, Irish immigrants. A couple of whom then married her daughters. So she was known as kind of a a neighborhood presence um, and a and a strong woman. And I think those qualities were then passed on to PJ, who also showed this entrepreneurial spirit and and also this grit, but but in a humble way, you know, neither of them were, as we just discussed, were flashy or showy or loud or 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 obnoxious. They were just, I think, genuinely empathetic and generous people, um, but had this uh, underlying strength and kind of a belief in themselves that allowed themselves to move up at a time when it was hard to do so for for poor poor immigrants um, and i think you see some of that later in the kennedy family um uh you know one example is the, the eunice kennedy and others playing a role in getting the special olympics started um I had a sister who who had Down syndrome and she competed in the Special Olympics. And so I always appreciated this aspect of the Kennedy history, family history, that they uh, were such uh, uh, played such an important role in creating the Special Olympics. And I think some of that, you could say, goes back to the experience of uh, people like Bridget being uh, discriminated against and oppressed and, and put down um, and in turn, um, trying to do what they can, could to help other people who were put down. Yeah. I think if you put the Kennedys to one side, mm -hmm. your book is really a tale of successful immigration, of, of uh, immigrants that come in and face really, uh, uh, they're really up against the odds, but they get through and they establish themselves and they go on and essentially become part of the community that didn't really want them in the first place. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that comes through because that's, that is the story I wanted to tell. It, it's really not a Kennedy story. I mean, you know, the, the Kennedy name is what's uh, intriguing about um, <clears throat> what came later. And we all know sort of the impact that the, the Kennedys had on our politics and our culture in the 20th century. But I, I, I really tried to drill down and show that before they were 
capital K Kennedys. Uh, they were just poor immigrants trying to make it. And they are, are a perfect example of what uh, can happen, uh, you know, if, if certain breaks go the right way, if people work hard, if they um, ha uh, develop, the, you know, whatever, the right connections and, and, and uh, community. Um, so it is a, a, a story about how um, at its best, America is and can be a nation of immigrants. I, you know, I think that term has been used a lot over the years, largely because JFK wrote a book uh, uh, of that title. Um, but I think the truth is it's far more complicated. We are a nation of immigrants, but um, often despite our best efforts, you know, despite efforts by others to prevent that from being the case. Yeah, I can't imagine how, how horrible it must have been for uh, Bridget and Patrick to come across on those ships from, I think it was Liverpool where they left over into boston they just sounded awful yeah yeah right like you know that's what they were called coffin ships and i, I describe in, in one of the scenes just these bodies being plunked over the side on the on the uh, on the route over um you know some of those ships hit icebergs or burned or um uh, or disease swept through the ship because they were crammed inside like sardines babies who were born on board and, and died very quickly because they didn't have medical care and, and were wrapped in sailcloth and just thrown overboard. It was, it was pretty tragic. And it's, and, and you, you know, it's not hard to make a comparison to what we see um, these days with uh, uh, refugees trying to escape certain countries by boat and, and, and not making it. And, and, you know, a whole, group of of immigrants uh drowning at uh at sea trying to escape to a better place it's still happening yeah, indeed it, it all seems shockingly familiar yeah yeah all right okay neil um now uh my last question which we ask everyone is what book or books are you currently reading ah good one um uh so i'm always reading more than one sometimes to a fault maybe three or four at a time. Um, something I uh, started doing during uh, the, the time of COVID was I started a newsletter. Um, uh, it's called Blood and Whiskey. And uh, every month I review a handful of crime fiction books, uh, crime novels, mostly a little bit of true crime, but um, my sort of uh, guilty pleasure uh, as a reader is is mystery and thriller novels and and noir and that kind of thing. Um, so my newsletter, I do a few book reviews. I uh, uh, include a cocktail recipe and then a music playlist on Spotify. Um, so currently, what I'm reading are uh, uh, books by Stephen Spotswood. I think I have his name correct. Fortune favors the dead. Um, historical crime novel, uh, Claire Keegan, an Irish writer, uh, John Searles, mystery thriller writer who's got a book coming out in March, um, Attica Locke, um, another mystery thriller writer. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I just started a book by uh, um, an Atlantic magazine and writer and freelancer named Wajahat Ali, um, whose book is about kind of what we've been talking about here. Um, I think it, the title is, Why Don't You Go Back Where You Came From? He's a, a Pakistani immigrant to America and writes about his experience 
um, as uh, as a as a Pakistani person tr trying to make it here and and the discrimination that he faced in his lifetime. Um, so that book is great and getting a lot of attention. And then the last one is a book by Susan Strait called Mecca. Okay. Do you have um, a favorite mystery writer from the and the golden age of mysteries, perhaps? Um, you know, going way back, I love um, John D. MacDonald, um, James M. Kane. Um, more recently, I'm, I, I just think there's a great, we're in a great era of female mystery writers. Uh, um, Megan Abbott, uh, uh, Laura Lippman, um, Ivy Pajoda. Uh, I mentioned Attica Locke. I think I think this is a really interesting age right now for those kind of stories. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, that's uh, all we have time for today. Uh, thank you to Neil Thompson, who is the author of The First Kennedys, The Humble Roots of an American Dynasty. Thank you. All right, thanks so much, Richard. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.